You may be seated, everyone. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the last book uh, of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Uh, Revelation, chapter 19. We are in a series looking through our vision, our values. William, if you can pass me the, just the remote control there. Um, thank you. Uh, focusing on our vision uh, and our values, our five M's. And over the past few weeks, we've been focusing on our monastic value, our multiracial value. Last week, Pete led us in our emotional health value. And today, we're going to focus on our marriage to Christ value. And taken individually, uh, these values can really deepen your life in Christ. It's, it, there's something beautiful about the integration and intersection of these five values coming together to provide a kind of comprehensive Christian spirituality that really transforms the world. And so um, we're going to be looking at marriage to Christ uh, today. And my hope is that at the end of our time today, I'm going to talk about what does it mean to live our marriages and our singleness out of marriage to Christ. And my hope is that we would get a vision for our marriages, that our marriages are to be marked by great love and faithfulness and forgiveness, and to be a pointer to heaven, and that our singleness is to be marked by great abundance, as well as pointing to the invisible beauty of God and the visible God through, uh, through our singleness. And so I'm going to give a large kind of vision for us that we are to live into. You should have a handout. In the handout, just, uh, you're going to need this here just later on just to uh, for some events and some ways to connect as singles and some events and some ways to connect as married people. So just make sure if you don't have one right now, you pick one up uh, at the end of the service. Well, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, we'll be in Revelation 19, but let's pray. Let's invite Let's invite God to speak to us as we look to him in his word today. Lord Jesus, Lord, as we look to you in your word today about what it means to be married to Christ and have our marriages and our singleness shaped out of that reality, may your kingdom come. May you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. And Lord, may we walk out of here different than the way we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. Today we're going to be focusing on marriage to Christ, and one of the most amazing images in the Bible is the places where Scripture depicts God as a groom or as a husband who's passionately in love with his spouse, who happens to be the people of God. And yet at the same time, one of the saddest pictures in the Bible is when God's spouse, the people of God, when they don't reciprocate the kind of love that has been poured out to them. Now, I went to a few weddings this year, performed a couple of weddings this year, and there's nothing like seeing the groom's response when the bride is walking down the aisle. It's just always a wonderful moment during wedding ceremonies. And it's kind of like a tennis match where you look down the groom and then you're looking at the bride and looking at the groom and you look at the bride and everyone wants to see the reaction, the connection that the bride and groom have for one another. And this week I came across a website that captured the looks on the look on the groom's faces when they saw their brides and the responses. These, these, these photos are, are priceless. You know, the bride walks down and... Ah, just, you know, just all emotional and everything there. This guy got the solitary tear just like dropping down. Boom. It's hard to plan those kind of tears there. You know, this is one of my favorites here. This guy's excited. He's just excited. Finally, this thing is happening here. Now, the Bible speaks about Christ as the bridegroom, as one of the images of Jesus. And when, when he sees the church, when God sees the church, when God sees your life, I believe he's overwhelmed with love, overwhelmed with love. But let me paint you a picture. Could you imagine that the doors open at this wedding ceremony and the bride starts walking down and the groom is weeping and as the bride is walking down, she seems disinterested. She seems indifferent. She's texting as she's walking down the aisle. She doesn't want to really be there. We'd be shocked because this is a moment for connection, and yet time and time again, Scripture is clear that the people of God are often indifferent, refusing to participate in the amazing love that God has for her. 
When we think about God, there are many metaphors that come to mind, but you can't think about God without thinking that God is a lover. God is a lover. And God is the kind of lover that doesn't want to have a summer fling with you. God wants to marry humanity. God wants to marry us. He wants to marry the church. And marriage in Scripture is something that comes up over and over and over again. You can't read the Scriptures without seeing this theme over and over and over again. The Bible begins with the marriage, with Adam and Eve, a wedding ceremony, as it were. God creates humanity, Adam and Eve, and performs the ceremony. When you look at the middle, through all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets and such, we see God as a, as a, as a groomsman, as a husband, as a marriage partner. When you look at the middle of the Bible, there's a book called Song of Songs, Songs of Solomon that many Christians are afraid to read. It's a, it's a book about the sensuality and intimacy that married couples experience. When you look at the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, the first miracle that Jesus performs was not in a temple, was not in a church service. It was at a wedding ceremony. It's very important. Jesus is known as the bridegroom. That's one of the ways he identifies himself. And at the end of the scriptures, we see that the world is headed towards a glorious wedding feast. And so from the beginning of the scriptures to the middle of the scriptures to the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament, we see that this metaphor of marriage and a wedding is one that comes up over and over and over again. And so this notion that we are married to Christ is to overflow into our lives, is to overflow into our marriages. And it is to overflow into our singleness. And one of the things we have to be reminded of is we need to learn what it means to be married and learn what it means to be single. That is, we need training in this area. First, for whatever reason, people get married or people or, or people in their singleness. We do these things and we think, ah, I don't need much training for this at all. And yet... Uh, the reality is we need deep training on how to be married and deep training on what it means to be a single person. And for married people, I'm going to talk about marriages first and then singleness. For married people, married couples are to have a particular spirituality that is marriage-based, a particular marriage spirituality that's different from single spirituality because the two are made one flesh. And so there's this particular spirituality for marriages and a particular spirituality for singleness. And until we have that level of nuance, we're going to miss out some important things on what it means to live out this vision that we are called to be married to Christ. And my hope is that marriages would be uh, at New Life Fellowship would taste, be a sign of heaven, would taste like heaven, and that singles would not just survive, but thrive. And so in Revelation 19, we see in verse 6 through 9, where is the world headed? And we see the world is headed to a wedding feast. And this is what John says, the writer of the book of Revelation. He says, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on the book of Revelation on what it means to be a multiracial community. And I want to use the same book to talk about what it means to be married to Christ. The book of Revelation, as I mentioned, is one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible, and it's because we've been so fixated with particular books that are out there in pop culture that we have misunderstood uh, and have not approached the book of Revelation in a way that it needs to be approached. But Revelation is very simply about Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means to unveil that which has been previously Hidden. That's all it means, to unveil that which has been previously hidden. And it's about the story of Jesus, how Jesus is making all things new. That at the end of human history, Revelation is about what is going to be unveiled at the end of human existence. Jesus is the one who's making all things new. Now, the fancy theological word for that is eschatology, that which pertains to the end of things. But as for a Christian, eschatology is not just that which pertains to the end of human history. Eschatology is for a Christian is about also how do we live today what's going to be anticipated in the future. Christians are to live into the future. That's why I say we are from the future. We are to live today 
what the world is going to look like when Jesus Christ fully and finally reigns. This is why we just sang a song about healing. We, we, we believe in healing because in God's future, there is no sickness. And so the church is to get a sneak preview. Preview. I, I gave that image a couple of weeks ago. The church is to be a sneak preview, a movie trailer. That when people see our lives, when people see our loves, they want to see the, they want to get into the larger action of the film. Another metaphor to get this ingrained in our minds of what the church is to be, we are to be, uh, 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 like I've mentioned, I love going to Queen Center Mall because you get these samples, you know, they get, they get the toothpick on the bourbon chicken thing and, and, and they give you the, sam- the church is to be a, a piece of bourbon chicken on a toothpick. That's what the church is supposed to be. We are to be a sample that when people see a taste and see that the Lord is good. They want to know, where can I get the full meal? Where can I get the full meal? And so we are to be a sample. What God wants to do today, anticipating what God is going to do in the future. And when Revelation, when John writes the book of Revelation, he pulls back the curtains. And in Revelation 19, what we don't see at this time as as a worship service, what we see is a wedding. And it's a beautiful wedding. At the end of human history, we see that we're headed towards a wedding ceremony, a wedding celebration. And verse 7 gives the language of a wedding feast. It says these words, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. That this is words of a wedding feast, of rejoicing, of being glad, of giving him glory. And our marriages and our single lives, because we're all married to Christ, is to reflect this kind of rejoicing today, this kind of gladness, a kind of life that is oriented towards giving God glory. Our marriages and our singleness are to reflect what's going to happen on that final wedding day. Our marriages and our singleness are to anticipate what will be. Now, the reality is we often don't live into this reality today. We f- what we find instead, our marriage is characterized by pain and heartache and disappointment. And maybe you've come here today and that's what you're experiencing as a married couple. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're just, you're trying to figure this whole thing out. Or maybe you came in here as a married couple and you are maybe stable or you're just getting by. Or maybe your marriage is in steady decline. Or as a single person, maybe you've been frustrated. Maybe you've been anxious. Maybe you have been angry. We all come in with our own experiences and yet there is a vision that God has for us in our marriage and in our singleness. And so I want to talk about marriages first and singleness. I'm going to give you three kind of large picture signs. What are we trying to accomplish at New Life Fellowship Church? What kind of church are we called to be in light of this vision of revelation in our marriages? And what are we called to be in our singleness? And so first of all, let me just talk to the marrieds in this room. And this is about, our church is about split, half married, half single. And so there's a lot of application for all of us in this room. When I first think about what it means to be married to Christ and how how does that overflow? flow in our marriages, first, we must learn to see our marriages as a sign of God's passionate love for the world. Until we begin to see our marriages as a sign of God's passionate love for the world, we're going to miss a vision. Why did we get married in the first place? As Christians, when we get married, we just don't get married because of our love for one another. We get married because we want to demonstrate something of God's character to the world through our love for one another. And if that's not our vision, we need the vision. That's the kind of vision we need today. Our, our marriages are not just about love for one another. It's about a kind of love that points to the invisible love of God. That's Christian marriage. A Non-Christian marriage, you can be fixated on yourself and you, your spouse is the end. That's all you care about. That's not Christian marriage. The Christian marriage is our lives are oriented in our love for one another to point to an invisible reality of God's love for the world, God's passionate love for the world. We, and we are to be a sign that when people see our love as married couples, that points to God's passionate love for the world. And so every marriage, God has so destined that our marriages in our love for one another are to have a ripple effect into the world. I like how John Paul II said it. He said, the union of man and woman builds and shapes families. And families shape neighborhoods. And neighborhoods shape communities. And communities shape cities. And cities shape states. And states shapes uh, nations. And nations shapes the world. 
When the marital union breaks down, eventually so does everything resting on it. And so a sign is to point to something out there. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they use the word of an icon, that our marriages are to be an icon, and an icon simply means a window into another dimension of reality. That's what our marriages are to be, a window into another dimension of reality. But the sad reality is this. Our marriages are often not icons. They often become idols. What I mean by that is this. People often get married... And much of the disappointment in marriage comes because we have expected the person whom we marry to fulfill our deepest desires. And it cannot happen. I got got one witness in the house here. It just just can't happen. And until we realize that our spouse cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our souls, we're going to put a weight that only God can bear. No wonder there's so many challenges. We are expecting our spouse to do only what God can do. And so it's to point to God, but it's not to replace God. So what often happens is instead of becoming icons, our marriages also often become idols. And an idol, I like how Tim Keller said, he said, idolatry is when we turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. Turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. And so we are to uh, see our marriages as a sign, see our marriages as uh, uh, an icon, not putting uh, uh, an unnecessary amount of weight on that person. It's like what C.S. Lewis did. C.S. Lewis said these words. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In other words, if there's nothing that in this world that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, the only probable explanation is that you were made for another world, that there's, there's, there's a love that can only satisfy you that comes from another world, from God's dimension of reality. And so we are called to, first of all, see our marriages as a sign of God's passionate love for the world. Secondly, our, ma- our, our mission as married people is to bring the good news of salvation that our spouses are loved and lovable. I want to give you one job description for you married people in this room. If you're married, your primary job description is to bring the good news of salvation that your spouse is loved and lovable. Now, many of us, when we think about marriages, we don't think about evangelism. But I want, I want to reframe how you think about evangelism for a moment. Evangelism is not just about sharing the good news to people who don't know Christ. In marriage, evangelism is about offering the good news of salvation that our spouses are loved and lovable. Evangelists are all about the offering of good news. And it's very difficult when you're married to always offer this kind of news. Life gets hard. Conflicts happen. Disagreements occur. And in the heat of the battle, the last thing we want to give is good news of salvation, that our spouses are loved and lovable. And yet this is our primary call. We're called over and over again in our affirmation, in the way we listen, in, the, in, the, in, our, in our acts of service, in the way we love our spouse. We are offering the good news of salvation. That our spouses are loved and loved. And the way that God loves them, we are doing the best of our ability to offer that good news to them. And in order to do that, it means that our priorities must be reordered. Our priorities must be reimagined. That to, 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 to live out this mission requires that our first priority, when, when Jesus says, love, your, uh, love the, your, the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, your first neighbor is your spouse. Your first neighbor is your spouse. Your spouse is the only one you've made a vow to. You didn't make a vow to anyone else. You made a vow to your spouse. And so to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is a recognition that my first neighbor, is not my only neighbor, but my first neighbor is my spouse, which means the way that I think about loving my wife, Rosie, is to, become, is to come out of this place of 
sharing good news. And the reality is, I, I know what it's like. We'll be married 12 years in January. I know what it's like uh, not to have this kind of priority in my marriage. I know what it's like to, to, Rosie likes to say to me from time to time, she hasn't said it much recently. I think I finally got it. She would say, you know, you, you're living like a single person, you know, just like in your mind. You're married, but you're living as a single person. And one of the ways it used to happen is I, the first about seven, eight years, whenever I would do an errand, I would come home and I'd pick up some food on the way home for me. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. And I come home with a slice of pizza. And she goes, oh, you picked us up some pizza. I said, us. That's too many people. I mean, us. I mean, us. And she would say, um, I said, she said, why didn't you get me a slice? I didn't know you wanted a slice of pizza. How could, I, how could I read your mind and know you wanted a slice of pizza? She would say, you know, you could have just texted me and said, I'm going to get some pizza. I'm coming home. Can you get some slice of pizza? And, and so, I, I, listen, I, I have... We've gotten some, some issues. We had some issues. I found out later the secret is eat the slice of pizza before you get home. And so that's a... <laughs> And then she finds out any, what's, what's that in your life? Oh, no, nothing. That looks like Gino's pizza from Long Island. <laughs> Don't do that. No, just, just a text message. Do you want anything? And so our, our mission, we are reordering our lives. We're, we're living now. Our first, my first priority is to love my neighbor as myself, my first neighbor being my spouse. And so this is the vision. What does it mean to live out of marriage to Christ? Minimally, I'm giving a big picture vision here. We see our marriages as a sign of God's passionate love for the world. That our mission as married people is to bring the good news of salvation, that our spouses are loved and lovable. And thirdly is this there, that our marriages are to be intentionally invested in. The sad reality about uh, the culture of marriage and weddings in this country is thousands upon thousands of dollars are spent on the wedding and very little money is spent on the marriage, on the development of the marriage. And so we spent thousands of dollars and flowers, and I love the flowers, and photos, and I love the photos, and we have all that. But the reality is what happens is there's a disproportionate amount of spending that happens and investing that happens at the, on the day, and in everything else, we'll see what we can do here. This is why we're having a marriage retreat uh, in December here. The best investment you can do is to spend whatever money. I don't care if it was $500. It's worth what you're getting here at New Life Fellowship Church. I don't care whatever it is. But it's in, you're intentionally investing in your marriage. Why? Because we need to be trained to learn how to be married. You don't just get married and it happens. We need discipleship. We need training. And we need our marriages need to be intentionally invested in. And so the reality is this. That for the state of marriages, and maybe our marriages... And maybe it's not what it should be. Maybe this vision is not what uh, your marriage is not lining up to this vision. Let me say a couple of things about that, and I'll talk about singles. The reality that our lives does not measure up to this shouldn't surprise us. Because many of us have not seen marriage as a discipleship issue. At the same time, it shouldn't shame us. We're all in the same boat here, brothers and sisters. We all need all the help we can get. No matter whether you're married three years or 30 years, we need all the help we can get. And so it shouldn't surprise us that many of us are not experiencing this, but it shouldn't shame us as well. We need all the help we can get. And we, we are here as the body of Christ to offer that kind of support to each other. And so one of our core values is that our marriages will be a sign of, of, of heaven, a taste of heaven. And then in our love for one another, we would experience that on a day-to-day basis. Now, I want to talk about singles now. Because often what happens is the church, we have a robust theology for marriages, and then we have very little theology for singles. And often what happens for singles is the theology is, uh, hold on to Jesus, and don't do anything crazy as you're holding on, you know, just, and that's all we got. I don't, I don't, I have nothing else for you. Hold on as best as you can. But there's got to be something more than that, brothers and sisters. Let me offer three things for singles as well. I want to offer a beautiful vision for singles and what it means for you in this state of singleness that you're in. First, I want to say that your singleness is to be seen as a sign of God's passionate love for the world, not a stigma. A sign of God's passionate love for the world, not 
a stigma. If you're single, God wants you at this present moment to experience deep joy, gladness. That Revelation 19.7 passage, deep joy, gladness, and that your life is oriented towards bringing glory to God. The reality is our singleness, when you look at Scripture, is to be a gift to the person and a gift to the world. Your life as a single person is to point to the unseen God, the beauty of this unseen God. But the challenges within the church and outside of the church, singleness is often seen as a stigma. I read an article by a woman named Paige Brown called Singled Out by God for Good. And she lists some common ways that churches have tried to explain singleness. This is some of the ways that churches have described singleness and try to explain singleness. Why are people single often? And there are four ways. Maybe you've heard of some of these messages. The first one she says is, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. Also, as if the people who are married are satisfied with God alone. We know that's not the case. The second thing is you're too picky, as though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. Or we hear messages in the church like this, as a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. Now, as a pastor, I've had to repent on how I would address singles, because I would address singles on a two-tiered way here. I would say after the end of the end of an event or so, married couples are there, single people are there, I would naturally just make the bad assumption that singles had whatever time they could to stick around and clean up and whatever. Oh, you're single? Stick around here. You don't got nowhere to go. Come on. You got nowhere to go. Where you going? Yeah. Let's clean up the table with me. You know, just like, and the married people are like, do whatever you want. People know you got kids. Have a good time. And what, it was a really bad assumption. And it communicates a couple of things. Number one, that married people, married, you can clean up too, all right? But, but, it, but it assumes that single people have no life. <laughs> and I have since repented. And I have invited other people, pastors, to repent as well when I hear that kind of two-tiered kind of hierarchy there. And so that's one of the messages we hear. Or we hear things like, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you into someone wonderful. As if everyone who gets married is wonderful. <laughs> and so, uh, like how she, as though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily sanctified. And so the idea that you're single uh, is often that you are in a pre-married status. And so you're, you're, you're defined by what you're not, that you're unmarried. And the assumption is you want to get out of that status. That's the assumption. And so if you're in your 30s or if you're in your 40s, the implication is that you're not normal, that you're not complete. And yet the kingdom of God has a radically different vision for singleness. It transforms the meaning of singleness. And without understanding this, we'll miss out what God has for us in our lives. And I realize in this room that there's a diversity of singleness in this room. There's a wide diversity of singleness. We're not all single for the same reason. And it's important to name that. There's some singles in here who are single because of, uh, who are involuntarily single. That is, you want to be with someone, but for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. Or people are single because of divorce. Or people are single because a spouse died. Or people have chosen singleness out of sexual orientation. Or because they've chosen singleness because they've seen marriage in their parents, and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that at all. And so there's a, a, a wide diversity of reasons why people are single. And, and no matter who you are in this room, there's a vision for singleness. Whether you're just recently single because someone, a spouse passed away, whether you are in your teens or early 20s, there's a vision for singleness. Now, in the first century, during the time of Jesus, singleness was a massive stigma. And the assumption was that there's not only something wrong with you if you're single, the assumption was there's something ungodly about you if you're single. And that's what rabbis and leaders taught, that if you were not married, it was because you were 
cursed by God. And so no one wanted to be single. And so get this, you had this environment, this theological environment, this stigma-filled singles culture, and it is in this theological environment and in this stigma-filled culture that Jesus comes on the scene as a single man. That's no small thing here. Jesus comes on the scene as a single man, and he takes the idea of singleness as a curse, turns it on its head, and presents it as a gift. And so our model for singleness is never the prevailing culture. Our model for singleness is Jesus Christ. Jesus never gets married, but he shows us a life that's full, fully alive, joyful, peaceful, abundant. He's in communion with God. He has great relationships. And at the same time, Jesus knows the experience of what it means to be single. He knows the frustrations of it. He knows what it's like to go to a wedding as a 30-something-year-old. And for 30-something-year-olds back then, it's the equivalent of about a 50-something-year-old today. He knows what it's like to go to a wedding as a 50-something-year-old, single, with his annoying aunt saying, What's, well, I mean, why, look at all these wonderful people here. With someone saying to Mary, his mother, your son is so handsome, so charismatic. Why? What's wrong with him? Jesus knows what it's like to be the recipient of the stigma-filled culture. And yet Jesus shows us someone who has a remarkable vision of what it means to be single. And so Jesus understands that to be single means that we are to be a sign of God's passionate love to the world, not a stigma. But secondly, singleness is the context to demonstrate the breadth of God's love. Now, generally speaking, this is a general principle. As married people, married people are to demonstrate generally the, the depth of God's love. Single people demonstrate the breadth of God's love. As a married person, you made a vow to a person, you, in your love for that one person, you're supposed to go deep there. doesn't mean that singles can't go deep. This is just a general observation. But for single people, you demonstrate the breadth of God's love. And we need both. We need depth and we need breadth. We need everything from, we need to demonstrate the love of God on all of these levels. And one of the people who have helped me to understand the love that singles are to offer from a breath perspective is a woman named Sue Pinkasoff, who's a new lifer. A couple of weeks ago, I I shared an email that a new lifer sent me, a Korean-American man named Isaac Chung, who works in Rwanda, did some work in Rwanda, when I talk about reconciliation and multiracial community. Uh, this week, I, I asked Sue um, if I could share an email she sent me on her thoughts on what it means to be a single person. And, she, and Sue has thought about this. She's lived this as a single person. She has kind of like a vocational, a call to singleness. And this is what she sent me, but it was a wonderful vision of singleness, and I wanted her to express that. This is what she says. She says, for so many, singleness is the visible sign, a stigma of not being, of being not chosen. It carries the pain of feeling unloved and unlovable, undesired and undesirable, lonely and alone. For many, it means a life lived in limbo, postponing or despairing of living a full life until marriage. I believe those are lies from the pit of hell because they steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to give us abundant life marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. She says, as a single person married to Christ, I see, believe, and endeavor to live by these truths that have come alive to me as I've walked with him. I hope they are visible in my life. And here are the truths that she unpacks. She says, I am chosen. I do not belong to myself but to Christ, who bought me with his own blood. This means that I am not preoccupied with myself. My life isn't all about me but him. I am loved, and his love and kindness drew me to him. My love for him is a response to his love for me. I know myself as beloved, and he is my beloved. There is a deep longing in me to see him face to face, yet he has taught me to see him in the eyes of the one before me. This translates into trying to be truly present to people, to live lovingly, to not use people, but to serve them for his sake. Being single gives me time and space to be available for whoever or whatever he sets before me. And then she says this finally, I have had so many experiences for wonderful relationships and so many opportunities for wonderful relationships and experiences because I've been free to engage them. I've known much joy and fulfillment in that freedom. I don't think of singleness as a barrier, but as an opportunity to connect. Also, since chastity is a a strong value for me, I haven't looked at men as potential boyfriends or husbands, but as brothers in Christ. 
I don't flirt or behave in any suggestive ways with men. It's made close friendships possible with men and couples. Being single allows me more time for him since, and I don't have the responsibilities of a husband and children. Now, what I want you to see is this is someone who has lived into a reality. And it doesn't mean that if you're single, to have a desire to be married, to have a desire for that kind of companionship is wrong. Of course not. God wants to meet the longings of your heart and the desires of your heart. But it does mean that as you are single, that there's life to live, that there's abundance for you right now, that you don't have to wait until you get married to feel this life of joy. And if, and if you're waiting until you get married to feel life and joy, that's, that's a recipe for idolatry. Only God can fulfill the deepest longings of our souls. And so as, we're, as you're single, you are to live into this reality today. And this singleness, how do you live this? It's sustained by a deep connection to others. Sustained by deep connection to others. This is the core of what sexuality is all about. Sexuality is about how human beings are meant for connection with others. If spirituality is about how human beings are meant for connection with God, sexuality, in the fullest sense of that term, is about how human beings are to connect with others. Here's the problem. The church historically has confused sexuality with genitality. And what that means is this. Very simply, we we have limited sexuality to an act of sex. And if your understanding of sexuality is an, an act, no wonder there's so many hurting people. Because we, we, we think if, if, if the, the only way I can connect with someone is if I have sex with that person. You, you recognize why there's so much brokenness in the world? Because we have limited sexuality to, genet- to an act of sex. Sex is a beautiful thing, but it's one of the ways that we connect with others. What the world does is it limits it. It says, this is the, this is, if you truly want to demonstrate your love, it's by an act. And it's confused sexuality with genitality. And so, we're, but, but we're made for connect. Even, and here's, the, here's the, the irony. The irony is this. You can, have, you can do, have as much sex as you want and still be deeply, 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 deeply lonely. Because you were made for more than just an act. You were made to connect on multiple different levels. And at New Life, what we're trying to do is talk about what does it mean in our full sexuality to connect with others. Not restricting it to an act, but in a proper context, of course. But how do I connect with others? Because our world is deeply, deeply lonely. And so what we need is a vision, brothers and sisters. A vision for our marriages and a vision for our singleness. And a vision that says that my life is to experience joy and gladness and Revelation 19.7, to give glory to God. That in my marriage and in my singleness, my life is giving glory to God. Ultimately, why? Because as individuals, we are living under the reality that we are married to Christ. This is why baptism, every time we get baptized, whenever you see someone baptized, they're taking a vow, as it were, of saying, I am married to Christ. When we take communion, this is a way of renewing our vows. I'm taking the bread, I'm dipping it in the cup. We're renewing our vows to love Jesus fully, to love Jesus faithfully, to commit our lives to him. And this is the vision that God gives to us. And here's the beautiful thing about this vision. Throughout the scriptures, we see covenant, covenant, covenant. God is always making covenant with his people. Marriage covenant with his people. And the reality is time and time again, the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of God in the New Testament, and us today continuously don't hold up to the, our end of the covenant. We run after other gods. We run after other idols. We run after other lovers. And God consistently is the one who remains faithful to us, who invites us back into love. It's in the Old Testament, it's the, it's my favorite Hebrew word is the word chesed. And it only works when you spit on somebody. It's, it's, it's chesed. And that, and that word, it, when it comes up in the Old Testament, it comes up, it's the word loving kindness. Every time you see loving kindness in Hebrew, it's the word chesed. And what that word chesed means is the consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God. That's how God loves you. God loves you with that kind of love. Covenant faithfulness. That even though we don't live up to the covenant, he consistently pursues us with grace. Consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God.
And it is this love that God wants us to experience individually so that in our singleness and in our marriage lives, we give people a taste of what's to come. Let's pray together. I want to have the worship team come forward and invite you to close your eyes. And maybe today you came in here with some not feeling hopeful about where your marriage is today, maybe not hopeful about your singleness, and yet Jesus wants to fill you with grace, and the Holy Spirit wants to empower you for this, this vision that he's given to us, to live our, our marriages and our singleness out of marriage to Christ, that Christ, his love, is ever faithful, consistent, lavish, extravagant, and it is as we receive this love and live out of this love that our marriages and our singleness can have a new kind of quality to them. And so, Lord Jesus, for those single people in the room here who are feeling fearful, disappointed, and angry and saddened, Lord, would you meet them in that place? Would you offer grace? for where they're at right now? And would you give a vision for what their lives are meant to look like? Full and joyful. Filled with peace, filled with your blessing. And Lord, for married couples in here, for marriages, Lord, that are struggling, that are probably just getting by, just, just existing, but not really experiencing your passionate love. Lord, would you pour out your grace over every married couple? Would you give hope to couples that are struggling, would you give a new vision to see their relationship as a sign, as a wonder, as an icon, a window into your reality. And so, Holy Spirit, the only way we can do this is if you come and fill us and pour out your grace on us. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
Let's sing that chorus one more time. And let's all sing it together, recognizing the majesty of God, what he's called us to. And some of you, maybe you've come in here overwhelmed in your marriage, overwhelmed in your singleness. And whenever you're overwhelmed, the best thing to do is turn your eyes to God and his greatness. And as we sing about his greatness, may the Holy Spirit just fill us today with whatever's coming your way, that his grace is sufficient and he wants to meet us today. And so let's just sing that together. My God, how great you are with everything we have, offering your singleness, your marriage to God, everything that's coming before you. Let's sing together. Lord Jesus, we need you today. We need your grace. We need your power. We need your authority. We need your healing for singles and marrieds in this room. And Lord, the forces of this world come at us at a relentless pace. And Lord, remind us how great you are. Remind us that there is no name higher than your name, that you are Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Lord, would you captivate us with that vision of your greatness today? Whenever, Lord, we see your greatness, our problems are put in their proper perspective. And so give us a vision of your greatness today, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. Invite uh, those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup to come uh, to my right here. And some of you came in here today as married people burdened. Marriage is hard work. And maybe you've grown a a bit uh, cynical. And maybe you don't have hope today. Listen, often when I hear, when I get someone paints a picture of a vision to me, of what my life can look like in Christ. And when I see the vision and I look at my life, I often see a disconnect. And when the disconnect happens, what often happens is I live with a sense of shame a sense of guilt, a sense of sadness and anger and anxiety that I just don't measure up to this vision. And maybe today you saw this, this vision of marriage and you look at your marriage and you go, we're not even close to that. And the temptation for you is to live in shame and guilt and anger and anxiety and sadness. And that's not the goal today. The goal is all those, those things might be a reality God's come to fill us with joy and peace. And listen, if he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is anything too hard for our God? And some of you came in here as single people, and you see this is what a vision of what singleness could be, Jesus as a single person. And you came in today, my life doesn't even match up to that. And your temptation is to walk out of here with shame and guilt and anxiety and fear and regrets. And that's not why we came to church today. We came to church today to be infused with hope and the peace and grace of our living God, who's able to meet you wherever you're at. And so for whatever needs you have, our prayer team will be here. Maybe if you're a married couple, maybe you should, and you're sensing you need prayer, you should come up together and let God, let let one of our prayer team members pray for you. If you're a single person, come on up. But, um... Don't leave out of here if you sense God calling you. And so our prayer team will be here. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands for a seven to receive a blessing. Jesus has a great vision for your life. And here's the beauty of his vision. Part of the vision of Jesus and the kingdom of God is he gives a vision. And then he gives us the resources to live out that vision. That's called the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do 
what we cannot do in our own strength. He says, I promise to be with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we're relying on you today to fill us and to do what we can't do in our own strength. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit with a new vision for your marriage and a new vision for your singleness. And may God empower you to will and to do that which he has called you to. And may your singleness and your married lives point to the unseen God who has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And may your love for others in its depth and in its breadth point others to the unconditional love of God. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.